My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God. So glad you're joining me. If you haven't had a chance to like, comment, subscribe to this channel, these podcasts, or wherever you're watching them or listening to them, uh, please do that so that we can get the Word of God out to as many places as possible. And please share this as much as you possibly can. And as, uh, as much as you feel comfortable doing, I just really want this to help change people's lives. Today, we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew And we're continuing through the 27th chapter. Today we're going to be looking at verses 11 to 23. And this is where Jesus has been brought before Pilate. Uh, Judas has just killed himself. And now we have Jesus standing before the governor in verse 11. Now when Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying, Are you the king of the Jews? So Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, He answered nothing. And then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Pontius Pilate, cruel, horrible, ruthless man, unkind to Jews, had contempt of everybody and everything. All he wanted was raw power. And this seems a little out of character for him, the way he handles this. I think Jesus threw him a bit of a curveball. Jesus seems to somehow affected him. Uh, now, Matthew condenses the full account uh, and only really recounts the second appearance before Pilate. The first uh, appearance before Pilate is described in Luke chapter 23, verses 1 to 6. And Pilate didn't really want to make any judgment against Jesus, so he sends him off to Herod. Uh, Jesus then says nothing to Herod, so Herod sends him back to Pilate. Uh, Herod was the sub-ruler of Galilee. So uh, here we go back to Pilate again. And he says, we may you the king of the Jews. Now, the Jewish leaders accused Jesus of promoting himself as a king in defiance of Caesar. They wanted to try and make Jesus seem like a dangerous person to Pilate, uh, like a revolutionary against the Roman Empire. So Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? The question, Bruce says this, the question reveals the form in which the Sanhedrists presented their accusation. Guzik says this, Of course, we can only wonder what Pilate thought when he first set eyes upon Jesus, when he saw this beaten and bloodied man before him. Jesus didn't look especially regal or majestic as he stood before Pilate, so the Roman governor was probably sarcastic or or ironic when he asked, Are you the king of the Jews? Remember, Jesus had been beaten by the religious leaders. This is before all the really bad stuff's going to happen to him. He was beaten by the religious leaders. So he's already taken taken a a physical beating. Bruce says this, Pilate was evidently not alarmed by the charge brought against Jesus. Why? Apparently at first glance, he saw that the man before him was not likely to be a pretender to royalty in any sense that he needed to trouble himself about. The you in an emphatic position in verse 11 suggests this, you, the king of the Jews, So what does Jesus say? Does he come up with some incredible defense? Does he have an eloquent speech? No, he just says, it is as you say. Same 
same exact answer he gave to the high priest in Matthew 26. And, and Pilate's kind of just blown away by this. And he says, do you not hear, um, all the things that these people are saying about you? Uh, Pilate couldn't believe that this incredibly strong man, even though he's beaten and bloodied, would stand silent against these accusations being made against him. So the, the governor marveled greatly is what the Bible tells us. Now, this is interesting. David Guzik says this, and it's an interesting observation about defending yourself. There is a time to defend one's cause or oneself, but those times are rare. When we rise to our own defense, we would usually be better off to keep silent and to trust God to defend us. And I can tell you I've wrestled with that in my own life at times where I felt like I needed to defend myself, particularly when it came to areas of my integrity. Uh, and I think, and I still struggle with that, and I'm sure many of you do too. But there are times when we must listen to the Holy Spirit and allow God to defend us. And I think that is the point that Jesus showed us here. Um, Spurgeon goes on to explain why Pilate marveled greatly. And I think part of it was that Jesus didn't try to defend himself. He had seen in captured Jews the fierce courage of fanaticism, but there was no fanaticism in Christ. He had also seen in many prisoners the meanness which will do or say anything to escape from death. But he saw nothing of that about our Lord. He saw in him unusual gentleness and humility combined with majestic dignity. He beheld submission blended with innocence. So then we go on to verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to, to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. He Look, Pilate knew that there was something very different about Jesus, and he knew that he was innocent. Uh, and he thought, you know what? Maybe the custom of me releasing uh, a prisoner during this time of the Passover might actually help solve the problem. Now, Mark 15, uh, the Gospel of Mark, tells us what made Barabbas notorious. He was an insurrectionist, and he committed murder in this insurrection, and you would call him a revolutionary terrorist today. And Pilate has this understanding that the only reason Jesus has been handed over to him is because of envy. Very interesting little term there. He, he picked up on that. He, he could see through the manipulation of the religious leaders. He knew what their motive was. It wasn't anything else. Um, Adam Clark said this, let it be remembered that malice as often originates from envy as it does from anger. Let's move on to verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, this is Pilate, Pilate's wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So Pilate, here he is, sitting in judgment of Jesus, uh, and he and he he does not give Jesus justice, even though he's got all the evidence pointing him to do the right thing to release Jesus. He sees the strength, he sees the dignity of Jesus. He knows that he's no criminal. He knows he's no revolutionary. Uh, 
He knew that there was really no proper charge being brought against Jesus. And it was only the envy of the religious leaders. He saw that Jesus was a man of peace and that he was at peace with his God and that he didn't need to answer any accusations. And he had already declared Jesus an innocent man. He'd already said in Luke chapter 23, he said, I find no fault in this man. And then he gets this little letter, this note from his wife, uh, which is interesting because Pilate had a very unexpected messenger of what the right thing to do was, which was his wife. <laughs> and his wife had a dream. Now, we don't know what she saw in the dream. We have no clue. It's not recorded. Guzik says this, perhaps she saw Jesus, an innocent man, crowned with thorns and crucified. Maybe she saw him coming in glory with clouds of heaven. Maybe she saw him at the great white throne of judgment and she and her husband facing Jesus. We don't know. We know that the vision of Jesus in her dream made her suffer because she said, I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Spurgeon said, whatever it was, she had suffered repeated painful emotions in the dream and she awoke startled and amazed. Now, this is an amazing thing that happened because she wakes up later in the morning. She's disturbed by this dream. She doesn't know where her husband is, Pilate. So she wakes up. Where is he? Where, where is he? Her attendants say, no, listen, he got called away to an early meeting. And he's got some business to take care of as governor. The religious leaders of Jerusalem uh, have sent over a prisoner for judgment and it needs to happen this morning. So immediately she says to her messenger, you, you have to take this to my husband and you have to interrupt him in the middle of the trial and give it to him. Spurgeon, most dreams we quite often forget. A few we mention as remarkable and only now and then one is impressed upon us so that we remember it for years. Scarcely have any of us had a dream which made us send a message to a magistrate upon the bench. So there's this incredible urgency from Pilate's wife to send the message to Pilate. And she says to Pilate, please have nothing to do with this man. Let him go. Send him away. Don't even touch him. Have nothing to do with him. And he, she was trying to influence him based on what she had felt in the dream. And, of course, he ignores it. Uh this was God's merciful message to Pilate. And it was a merciful message that he rejected. And the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. They knew that they were losing the battle with Pilate on the grounds of evidence. So not through any of his own discernment about Jesus, not through the words of his wife, not through the religious leaders themselves. It was the best way to push Pilate to a decision was to get the voice of the multitudes to cry out for Barabbas. So here you have Pilate. He's a man who knows what the right thing is to do. And he knows it from a whole lot of different ways, not just one. But he does the wrong thing because he's worried about what other people think. He, he's concerned about the multitudes. And, and, and are we similar to that? We know what the right thing is to do, and then we don't do it because we're worried about the, what the multitudes might think. This is Pilate. See, even people in authority worry about what people think. And it's a tool that's used by the devil all the time. Clark said this, 
But this, it appears, they did at the instigation of the chief priests. That's, you know, talking to the multitudes. We see here now dangerous, wicked priests are in the Church of Christ. When pastors are corrupt, they are capable of inducing their flock to prefer Barabbas to Jesus, to, comp- to choose the world to God and the pleasures of the sense, senses to the salvation of their souls. Um, it, it, it's sad that they, the multitudes were whipped up by religious leaders is the point that Clark is making here. So let's move on to verse 21. The governor, Pilate, answered them and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they all said to him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. The voice of the multitude cried out Barabbas. The voice of the crowd is very rarely the same as the voice of God. This this angry mob didn't appear to answer Pilate's request for evidence or proof when he said, so what evil has he done? All they did is just, we don't care whether you want evidence, we're just going to shout for his death and we'll just shout you down. And they wanted him to experience something more than death, they wanted him to be crucified. In other words, they wanted him to be executed by torture through crucifixion. Uh, France said this, The call let him be crucified is remarkable on the lips of a Jewish crowd, for crucifixion was a Roman punishment and it was abhorrent to most Jews. Spurgeon said this about the multitude, There were none in the crowd silently sympathising with the Saviour. They all said, Let him be crucified. And when the crowd chose Barabbas instead of Jesus, it was a great reflection of how far humanity had fallen in its sin. Spurgeon, I impeach humanity again of the utmost possible folly because in crucifying Christ, it crucified its best friend. Jesus Christ was not only the friend of man so as to take human nature upon himself, But he was the friend of sinners, so that he came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. People today are still rejecting Jesus and choosing somebody else. Their Barabbas is a whole lot of other things. Lust, addiction to alcohol, drugs, uh, worrying about what other people think, self, comforts of life. And Trapp said this, This mad choice is every day made, while men prefer the lusts of their flesh before the lives of their souls. And they said, Barabbas. That's what the multitude said. Now, think about this from Barabbas' perspective. This is interesting. If anyone knew what it meant for Jesus to die in their place, it actually was Barabbas. Because he was a terrorist, he was a murderer, and he was set free because Jesus was crucified and put in his place. And the cross that Jesus hung on was originally intended for Barabbas. Now, you can imagine maybe uh, Barabbas being in a very dark prison cell, um, maybe with a small window waiting to be crucified. Guzik paints a bit of a picture of this for us. Through the window, he could hear the crowd gathered before Pilate, not far away from 
the fortress Antonia where he was in prison, which was right next door to the temple. Perhaps he could not hear Pilate ask, which of the two do you want me to release to you? But surely he heard the crowd shout back, Barabbas. He probably could not hear Pilate's one voice ask, what then shall I do with Jesus who is the Christ? But he certainly heard the crowd roar in response, let him be crucified. If all Barabbas heard from his cell was his name shouted by the mob and then let him be crucified, when the soldiers came to his cell, he surely thought it was time for him to die a tortured death. But when the soldiers said, Barabbas, you are a guilty man, but you will be released because Jesus will die in your place, Barabbas knew the meaning of the cross better than most when we wonder if he ever took it to heart. We don't know when we wonder. But my observation is Barabbas, wow. Imagine being the one person who Jesus literally died in your place, physically on the day, and then realising that at a later time that this man was the son of God because he rose again. We don't know what happened to Barabbas. We don't know what he thought about all the events that took place in the days and the weeks following. Um, I hope he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour. I hope that he realised that Jesus died in his place. But you and I, we're all like Barabbas. In other words, we've all done things that deserve death, that deserve eternal punishment. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You and I deserve death. We get to have eternal life. Barabbas, we're all really Barabbas. We, 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 we should all, you know, have the middle name, um, Barabbas really, because that's who we are. But Barabbas had an opportunity firsthand to see Jesus do something for him. So what do we do? What do we do as we observe this? What, what's your observations? Write them down, type them out. Put, send them. You send, you tell me what you observe out of this for you personally, because I think this is something. There's a, there's an individual observation for every single one of us that is different when you understand that you and I are Barabbas. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity, Lord, today to be able to be reminded that Jesus, you died in our place, and help us observe whatever you want to speak to us individually today in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.